Testing. There you go. Morning, church. Morning. Ooh. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to our online bluer, uh, bluers, viewers. Sorry for that. As the ushers are finishing up, let me tell you a story of my, uh, my most memorable story of my mother since we were on Mother's Day. Never shared this with anybody. This, you guys will hear this for the very first time. Um, I, I was in my first year of college. I dropped out from my college. And then at the same time, my mother found out that I broke up with my girlfriend. So one summer day, I was just on the bench in front of the house and uh, you know, feeling down. And my mother comes up to me, sitting next to me and said, is it her? That's all she had to say. So I said, no, mom, it's not her. <laughs> she was really, she was so concerned that I was so down. So she thought it was because I broke up with my girlfriend. So that, that's the first time I shared this. I just remember it. But yes, mothers are special. That was, the whole, that was my most memorable memory of my mother, that she comes up to me and she really asks me, are you okay? That's really what she was saying. Are you okay? Amen? Thank you, mothers. Happy Mother's Day once again. So trustworthy. Okay, that has nothing to do with the message. I'm sorry. But trustworthy. This is our series uh, for the next six weeks, and Pastor Mark has started us uh, with this last week. So this is a series, and we're going to discover the nature of God, namely His promise-keeping nature or His covenant-keeping nature. Amen? So let's go ahead and jump to our main text, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. So let me read Isaiah chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword, lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. And then verse 5. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And Father, I just ask as we listen, may you open our ears to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. Open our eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. And most importantly, soften our hearts that we might learn how to surrender our will to you. And I pray that as we do that, you would allow faith to rise up within. So Lord, have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, after reading that, how many of you just went, what did he just read? So Isaiah, uh, those of you who are familiar, Isaiah is the book of prophecy. And just like what Pastor Mark said two weeks ago, sometimes when you read prophecy, it, it creates more questions than answer. And like what he said, it's okay. It's okay to have questions. One thing you can do when you have questions is bring it to the Lord. Amen? Bring it to the Lord. He said, ask in the form of question. And he, will, and he will give you the answer. So house of Jacob. So what is this passage talking about? So to give us a, an idea what this passage is talking about, uh, bring it back to verse 1 to 3. I'm sorry. So uh, 1 to 3. So here's the key word to look for. It says uh, Judah, 
Jerusalem and the latter days. So this is talking about the latter days. So what is the latter days? Now, you can go ahead and show that. Here, just to give us a clear picture or just to get us uh, all in, uh, uh, together, what Judah or what Judah, what Isaiah is talking about, this is what he's talking about. This is God's prophetic plan. Prophecy, or the Bible contains about 20, more than 25% of the Bible is prophecy. So if you would put that in, the, in terms of books, since the Bible, is, uh, the Bible contains 66 books, if 25% is prophecy, then that means that about 17 books are prophecy, if you put it all together. Now, there are about 300 prophecies that's already been fulfilled by Jesus alone. So you see that my illustration says Old Testament, then you have the cross. The cross itself, more than 300 prophecies about the coming of Jesus, the, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, his resurrection, 300 of that is right there. Amen? So that means the remainder of those prophecies really covers that, from the cross all the way down to the end of the screen. New heaven, new earth, eternal state. Got it? So right now, you are here. You know, Just like in your map, you are here. We are living in what we call the church age. You are here. Then as you can see, the next thing that, that we are waiting for to happen is the rapture or or in, in the Jewish belief, it is the, the Feast of Trumpets. Okay? This is when the bridegroom or the groom comes back to take his bride. That's what the rapture is. Then after the rapture, when the church is taken away, we have the tribulation, the seven years, where many have said this is where all hell will break loose. And after the tribulation, the return of Christ. And this is when Christ comes back together with his church, and that begins the millennial kingdom or the thousand year reign of christ then the great white throne then the new heaven the new earth so isaiah is talking about that period right there the millennial kingdom clear so right now where are we we are at the church age the church age is also considered or is the, another name that the, that uh, the church is is the age of the dispensation of grace all right the age of the dispensation of grace. Until the second coming, the return of Christ, grace is being poured out on earth. Grace means the favor of God. And that's why today, God is graceful. He is gracious. He's allowing mankind to reject Him. He's allowing mankind to disobey Him. He's allowing mankind, even believers, when we receive Christ and we say we let the, let the Lordship of Christ reign in our, in our hearts, God is not bringing a punishment on us. He's bringing chastening or discipline in us. But when we get to the millennial kingdom, it is totally a different story. Right now, man is rejecting God, and God is, it's not that God is, uh, and God is saying it's okay. Right now, it's not the time. It's still the church age. It's still the age of the dispensation of grace. But once the millennial rule happens, it will be a different story. So got it? So this is where we are. And what we're about to look at is that right there, the millennial kingdom. All right, so now we can go back to Isaiah ch uh, chapter 2, 1 to 3. So Isaiah, the word of the Lord that came to Isaiah, this is the description that God gave him. It says, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days of millennial that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. 
So what is he saying? What this is saying is that the day on the day or the in the millennial rule of Christ, Israel will be the powerhouse. Today you see Israel as a small nation. But when this time comes, they will be the powerhouse. And it says that all the government, or rather, the government or the capital of Israel would be Jerusalem, the top of the hill. That's why it says concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So that's what's going to happen. So then verse 3, it says, Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. And we shall walk in his path, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is going to be the centerpiece of the government when Jesus reigns on earth. Amen? The next verse. So in verse 4, it says this. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat, the, uh, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Notice my heading, it says the peaceful nature of the Messiah's reign. Most of us right now, we're wishing that we can live in a peaceful environment, isn't it not? We're wishing that crime would stop, we're wishing that people would, would submit to the law, we're wishing that, that uh, China would stop bothering the world, okay? Sorry if, you're, if, if, you, have, uh, if you have relatives there, I'm sorry. Okay? But, but here, in that millennial kingdom, that's exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be a peace. There's going to be no war. But it doesn't mean that because there's going to be peace, it is a peace where man surrender their will to God. No. Right now, that's happening. God is allowing you, according to your will, whether to reject Him or to follow Him. But in the millennial rule, it says here that He shall judge between the nation and rebuke many people, this kind of peace in the millennial rule is going to be an enforced peace. It is an enforced righteousness. And that's why the scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You will have no choice. Amen? I know it, 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 bring, it, uh, it brings up certain things in your mind. And that's why there is no need for war machines anymore. Now there will be conflict, yes. There will be disagreement. But it will be dealt with decisively and quickly. And that's why it says he will rebuke many people and he shall judge between the nation. And along with him, those that will reign with him will, will, will function as that. Some of us will do that. All right? And that's why in the, in the parable of the faithful, uh, faithful servant, it says that, Come enter into your master's joy. You've been faithful with the small things. I will give you what? More things to, I will give you more authority over things. And that's going to happen in the millennial. So this is what's going to happen. So Isaiah, the word of Isaiah, or the word that Isaiah saw, pertains to this time and to this era. And then, the, and then verse 5, it says this, and that's why the flea, or Isaiah was asking, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Church, right now, that is still the same call that God is bringing out to the world. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You don't have to wait for that time that Jesus will force his righteousness on you. When you have no choice but to, put, to go down on your knees and declare him to be the Lord of your life. Right now we're in this, in this um, era called the church age. And God is gracious 
So don't be despair. Don't be, don't, don't be discouraged. I know somebody came up to me earlier, man. It's kind of dis- discouraging what's ga- going on today. But that's why they call this the blessed hope when we go back with the Lord, because this is what's going to happen. So if you already allowed Jesus to reign in your life, guess what? When that happens, we will just continue that. It's just going to be a continuation of what you're already doing here. You're allowing God to reign in your life. You're allowing Jesus to reign in your mind, in your heart, in your will. When that happens, when we're raptured up and the millennial, and the millennial kingdom begins, we will just continue. That's what it is. We'll just continue that. That's why I practice it now. Amen? <laughs> practice it now. So this is what Isaiah was talking about in chapter 2. That the time will come that, that the peace will reign on earth. A peace that is enforced by, by, by Jesus, by King Jesus. So now you might ask, but I thought our series is about trustworthy. Or is about God's covenant-keeping nature. So what does Isaiah chapter 2 have to do with God's covenant? Well, the millennial rule of Jesus is actually a fulfillment of a covenant that he made with a man in the Old Testament. In the first service, I asked people, anybody want to guess? So, so Elmer is excluded from answering because he, he gave the right answer. Anybody want to guess? So who was the man that God made a covenant with? So, that, so that's why the millennial kingdom is necessary. Anybody want to guess? Somebody said Abraham earlier, so it's not Abraham. David. David. Yes. David was the man that God made a covenant with. So let's go ahead and uh, show that. Uh, this is the covenant that God made with David. And it's amazing how, uh, how the heart of God is. So David was the man that most of you, hopefully most of you know that God gave the title, Here's a man after my own heart. He was the second king of Israel. All right? He started as a shepherd boy. Yes, that's the same David. He, he defeated Goliath, that David. All right? He became king eventually. When he was king and God has given him peace, he has, he has defeated all his enemy. And he's now living in, a, in his castle, uh, so to speak, his castle. He says, I live now in a house of cedar, but yet the ark of God is still in a tent curtain. That was David's heart. David wanted to build a house for the ark of God, a, a house for God. That's what David was crying out. Lord, I want to build you a house. So God turns around and say, thank you, David, but no thank you. But instead, what God said, instead, I will build you a house. Meaning, I will give dynasty in your, I will give you a dynasty. That's what God said. That's why, we, that's why when you hear that praise, you can never outgive God. That is so true. You think your intention towards God is good? God can turn around and say, no, I will build your house. So David said, Lord, I want to build your house. And God said, no, David. No, yes, and thank you, but no, I will build your house. And God made a covenant with David. And this is the covenant. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of man and with the blows of the son of man. Now, stop over there. You know, many people believe that Israel or the, the, covenant, that God with Is- the, the covenant that God made with Israel has, has stopped or God has abandoned Israel. God has rejected Israel. 
because Israel rejected God. But here it clearly says here that if they commit iniquity, I will chasten him. Chastening is different from rejection. Okay, so the next verse it says here, it clearly says that, go ahead. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I have removed from before you. Israel right now may be in this situation, but God has not rejected Israel. God has not abandoned Israel. God is chastening Israel according to his word. Remember, we're talking about a covenant-keeping God. If God would have abandoned Israel, and yet he made this promise, then what, the, what is the point of us going to church and believing that we have salvation? See, and that's why God is true really means that he cannot break his promise. God is true means he cannot lie. The, the whole point of us being in the church is that we believe that what the, word, uh, what the word of the Lord says that we are saved, then that is our foundation, that is our hope. If God, were, if God had rejected Israel, then really what we're doing is just in vain. Amen? Just trying to make a point, okay? So, my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. What does forever mean? Forever. <laughs> Thank you. So, what is forever? Forever is forever. So, if God made a covenant with David saying, David... You wanted to build me a house? I will build you a house. I will give you a dynasty. And your kingdom shall be forever. Right now, do you see a king in Israel? No. And that's why the millennial rule is necessary for God to fulfill his promise that there has to be established throne under David. Go ahead, next verse, please. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he says, He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And who is this referring to? Jesus. Every answer in church is always Jesus. You're correct when you say Jesus. This is Jesus. When the angel of God appeared to Mary, this is what she said. It says, uh, um, he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Uh, uh, this is Jesus. This is talking about Jesus. Now, if Jesus was just born naturally and he died, then he remained dead, then that covenant promise of God to have David's throne forever would have stopped. You realize that? But Jesus died. Yes, he died. He died for a sin. He was buried. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he is now what? Seated at the right hand of God the Father forever. And all that Jesus is waiting for now is from the Father and say, Go, Son, now get your bride. Get your church. And that's why the rapture will happen. That's all he's waiting for. He's waiting for the Father. Remember, he said, the day and the hour is unknown. And that's why Jesus is just there waiting, saying, until, until the Father say, Now, Son, go get your bride. Go get your church. Amen? That's what we're waiting for right now. And it should excite you. I don't know. A lot of people think that it should excite you that when the, 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 the event when Jesus comes back to get his church is an exciting event. At least for me, it's exciting. Because I can finally, all this Bible reading, I can finally resolve all the questions that I have. I can finally meet this, this Jesus that, uh, that for 20-some years I've been trying to... I've been looking for, I'm just reading in scripture and, uh, and uh, 
and experiencing the presence. And that's why Jesus is the, is the heir to the throne of David. And when that happens, God will fulfill. That's why the millennial is God's fulfillment of his covenant with David. Amen? That's why it's necessary. It will happen. Just like what I said earlier, 300 of the prophetic words that was, that was in reference to Jesus, more than 300 has already been fulfilled. The rest is just waiting to happen. So if nothing was ever able to stop the prophecy that was pertaining to Jesus, then nothing can ever stop the rest of the prophecy that is talking about the rapture and the millennial. Amen? And that's why he is trustworthy. You can trust him. Amen? <clears throat> so where are we? So yeah, and this is, this is, the, and this is where the heart of God is. So last week, Pastor Mark intru uh, uh, introduced us to this series, and he talked about what a covenant is. A covenant, in, in a better term, he says, it is, like, it is a unique promise from someone who is higher or more superior to someone who is lower and inferior. But have you ever stopped why? Why would God do that? Why would God actually make a covenant with man? You know, in, 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 uh, today, one of uh, um, something similar to a covenant is a bank agreement. When you take a loan out of the bank, you sign an agreement, isn't it not? And the bank, being the higher party, will do everything in its power and capacity to make sure that when you default on your payment, they can get back their money's worth. Isn't it? When you get a car loan, when you get a mortgage loan, and you stop paying the bank, what do they do? They repossess your car. They foreclose your home. But yet God, God is so different. Go ahead and show that uh, next slide. This is the, the foundation of God's covenant. When God made a covenant with man, he's the higher party. He's the superior party. We're inferior. We're really nothing. But yet this is the, the foundation of a covenant when God makes it. It is that God binds himself by his own oath to keep his promise. He binds himself. Why would a higher party bind himself to somebody we do not, who, who really is nothing? You realize that, church, we really have nothing to offer God. Nothing. There is nothing that we can offer God in this covenant. But yet, he still makes the covenant. He binds himself by his own oath that I will keep my promises to you. Isn't that amazing? If you think that you have something here, let me read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment, is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Sometimes we think, oh, Lord, I'm giving you service by, by doing ministry. No, we're not giving him service. There's really nothing in us that we can give to him. But Lord, I'm, I'm preaching the word, I'm singing, I'm ushering, I'm doing this. This is all ministry. That's why it says in Ephesians that our salvation is by the grace of God through our faith and not of works. Because there is nothing that we can offer to God. 
when we receive salvation. And when we receive salvation, the things that, that we're doing for Him, they're called gifts. They were given to us by Him. Spiritual gifts are given to us by Him. Then when He gives you a spiritual gift, He also gives you the willingness to do it. It's in Scripture. The willingness and the desire to do it. That's why really there is nothing in us to offer to God. Everything right now that we think, oh, I'm doing ministry for God, it is nothing. There's nothing that we can offer God, but yet God still makes a covenant with us. He still binds himself by an oath by saying that, I will keep my promise to you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, wrap your, wrap your head around that because I, I, I still am. Every time I, I study the covenants, I, I, still, I would still stop and pause and say, wow, wow, Lord, why? So that's the next question that I really wanted uh, to get across. So why? Why would God do such a thing? For some of you, probably you already know the answer. So, so I'm going back to David. So before David, before God made a covenant with David, and I will show you. Now you're probably wondering why David? Why David? Armin, why do you keep, uh, why do you keep using David as an example? Because David is the second person in the Bible who has more things written about than anybody else. So really, Jesus, then David. That's it. If you, uh, if you, as you read through your Bible, the first thing is Jesus. A lot of the things uh, that's written about is Jesus. The next thing is about David. And then, of course, it is David where God said, here is a man after my own heart. You want to know the heart of David? It benefits you to study the life of David because if you can find the life of David, then you can, or if you see the heart of David, then really what you're seeing is the heart of God. And that really is what we want to know. We want to hear. We want to, to see. Amen? To see the heart of God. So that's why David is one of those men. David is also a lot of, um, a lot of, um, a Bible teacher has uh, referred to as a type of Christ, a pattern of Christ, meaning in, in his life story, you see a pattern, an, an aspect of who Christ is, his ministry, and his heart. So that's why David, okay? Just guess you're wondering why David. David. So before God made a covenant with David, David actually also made a covenant, covenant with another man named Jonathan. Go ahead and show that. So here it says that then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. So, so this is where you find the reason why. So why would God make a covenant with man when man has nothing to offer? It's really here. It's really because God loves us. And it says here that word, the word is, uh, he loved him as his own soul. The word his own soul really means with his own life. So Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Does, doesn't this bring a... Another scripture in the New Testament where it says, Greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. That is the why God would want to make a covenant with man. Because God's love for us is really to give up his own life to us. Amen? So this is the why. Uh, this is the why of the covenant. Excuse me. So that's why I'm saying, so 
so the millennial, going back to Isaiah chapter 2, so the millennial is necessary to fulfill the covenant promise of God to David. And just like what I said earlier, in the millennial, you will be forced to submit to God. But right now, we're living in the age of the church. And in the age of the church, the spirit of the covenant is different when, it, when, when the millennial happens. Today, the cry of God is this. Go ahead and show them the next verse. This is what God is saying right now because we have another covenant with Jesus. This is what God is saying. Now, David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Since David and Jonathan made that covenant, this is God's heart, okay? This is God's heart. Now, technically, because Jonathan died, eventually Jonathan and Saul died. Now, just like your marriage covenant, your marriage covenant says that till death do you part. So technically, David was already free from the covenant that he made with Jonathan because Jonathan has died. But did, and this is what amazes me is that but God's heart doesn't stop there. God's heart today is really this is what he's calling out. And that's why David is an example of Christ, an example of God. Though Jonathan was dead, David's heart was still. Is there, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That's what God is calling out today. Is there anyone else that is willing that I can show my kindness to for Jesus' sake? That's the heart of God right now. And we're still living in this age that God is gracious to mankind. When the time comes, of the, when Jesus comes back, it will be totally different. Amen? And this really is, and that's why in verse 3 it says, Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Show the kindness of God. How did David learn this? David learned this by him receiving the same thing from God. When God made a covenant with David, the, the, David's prayer was, O Lord, who am I? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you would show all this goodness to me? That was his prayer. David understood where he came from. He said, Who am I, O God, that you, and, who, and what is my house that you have taken me so far, this far, that you are showing me all this goodness? And that's, why in, in, and that's why David turns around and does the same thing. And he looks and he shows kindness to the man that he made a covenant with. Right now, Jonathan is dead. And the last remaining son of Jonathan was named Mipubishet. And that's why he was looking for him. And church, that is the heart of God right now when, when it comes to our covenant oh, in Jesus. He's still looking. He's searching out and he's looking out. He's still, is there still anyone who is willing to receive and that I can show kindness to. Go ahead, next verse. And that, uh, so before we end, so, so in 2 Samuel verse nine, um, chapter 9, verse 6, this is where the son of David comes, uh, comes around. It says he was lame in his feet. But how did he become lame in his feet? Some of you might know this story. Because when, when the nurse of Jonathan's son heard that his father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul was dead, his nurse fled in panic and he dropped the boy and he was lamed on his feet. Why? Why did they panic? 
Because all those times, what they've been hearing about David is that David is out to get you. That's why for some years, Mephibosheth was hiding from David. Because all he's been hearing is that David is out to get you. And church today, I believe that's what people believe about God. That's what they think about God. That God is out to punish them. We, the world out there really feels like Mephibosheth, where God is out to get me. But just like what I showed you, God is really crying out to the world and saying, is there anyone else that I can show kindness to for the sake of Jesus, for Jesus' sake? And then the last verse. So then this is what God really is thinking, or this is what God thinks about us. So David said to him, do not fear. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Church, this is God's heart right now for us. Right there. Do not fear. I will show you kindness for Jesus' sake, and I will redeem everything that you have lost. And you will eat in the tables in the king's table forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I think I'm done. Are you blessed, church? So in closing, church, uh, uh, the first series that we had about Isaiah is to be salt and light. As you can see in the life of David, he really is an example of being what the salt and light is. But did you see how it be, he became the salt and light to the world? It was because he first experienced the goodness of God in his own life. And in turn, he did the same thing. Amen. So church, that's what the call of God right now is to the world. And, and we just finished that series. I know we're doing trustworthy, but I just wanted to plug that in. The way for us to really become the salt and light of the world is really to encounter the goodness of God in our life, the kindness of God in our life. And in turn, just like David, we can turn around and do the same for people. Amen. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Father, thank you that your word tells us that you're one who is kind, one who is full of goodness, and right now you're crying out to the world, is there anybody out there who is willing that I can show my kindness to? Is there anybody out there who is willing to allow me to reign in their life? And Father, thank you that in this time of the, the church age that you are, you are being graceful to us, before we dismiss, I just want to take this opportunity. If you're here today and you've never done that, you've never allowed Jesus to reign in your life by, by believing in Him and receiving in Him, like what I said earlier, you don't have to wait when Jesus Himself enforced righteousness upon you. You can allow Jesus now to reign in your life, in your heart, in your will, so that when that time comes, you will just continue. So before I dismiss, if you're here today and you've never done that, but today you said, I want to do that. And if that describes you and you desire that, all you have to do is 
is pray and allow that desire to, to, become, to become real through a prayer. So if there's anybody, anybody here today before I dismiss, and that's you, and today you want to pray that prayer to receive Jesus and allow Him to reign in your life, while everybody heads is bow, I want to pray for you. So if that's you, you can just raise up your hand so that way I can identify you. Anybody here? Okay, so everybody's good. Amen. Hallelujah, Father. Let's go. Father, thank you for your love towards us. And Father, I just pray, Father, that you continue to protect us. Continue, Father, to, to show your goodness to us and your kindness towards us. And I pray, Father, Lord, as we go, Father, to the world, as we, as we become the salt and the light to the world, as we herald your, your voice saying, is there anybody else that I can show goodness to who is willing to receive me? May we, may we touch them. May we, may we impact them in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're dismissed, church.